We want to thank uh, Burton and Paul for coming all the way from Belize uh, to lead us in worship. God bless you, brother. God bless you, brother. <laughs> I'm so glad they sang the song I just wrote for them. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Man, it is great to see the blue shirts. Amen. Praise the Lord for this. Great weekend. So thankful for D-Now Weekend and what God does in the, in the life of our students at every D-Now Weekend. And so we're grateful for all of our leaders, our host homes, all the different ones who made that happen this weekend. We're grateful for each, each one's sacrifice and willingness to serve our students. And so grateful for our student leadership as well. This morning, I want to introduce our speaker to you, uh, the same one who's been speaking to our students this weekend, Friday night and Saturday night. Jean-Marc spoke uh, yesterday morning, but, uh, but Andrew spoke uh, Friday night and Saturday night. He's speaking for us now in just a moment. And so, so grateful for Drew being with us. Drew Cheatham is the uh, student pastor at Swift Creek Baptist Church right here in Colonial Heights. And uh, I've known Drew ever since we've come to Mount Pleasant. But I've known some of his background uh, as well because his grandparents lived not far from where we lived at Midway. And precious people to us. We're grateful for them. But also one of his best friends. I mentored one of his best friends when he was in seminary. And so when I came to Colonial Heights, uh, Matt, his best friend, said, Hey, when you get up there, look up Drew Cheatham. He's one of my pals, my buddies, and and see if you guys can hook up a little bit. So anyway, we did meet at a pastor's meeting. And uh, since then... Uh, since about a year and a half, two years now, we've been meeting every Wednesday, uh, mentoring him uh, as uh, he is uh, feeling led of the Lord to eventually become a church planter in Portland, Oregon. So it'll be a little ways down the road uh, by God's will and uh, by his grace. Uh, but uh, we're so thankful that he's here today. We also have his precious wife, Eunice, who is here as well. And they're expecting their first child in July. And so they're very excited about that. Eunice and Drew are very precious to Angie and myself. We love them dearly. Uh, They're good friends of ours. Uh, They love Jesus. They love ministry. They love God's people. And I know that they already love you as well. And so if you would, please, would you join me in giving them a warm Mount Pleasant welcome as Drew comes to share with us this morning. Thanks again, Dave. Love you, man. Love you, love you. Is this somebody's uh, Is this your iPad? I'm going to put it over here. Yes. I'm going to put it right here. Uh, Joe Mays, can you stand up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This man looks like he could give a keynote at, for Apple right now. It is great. Uh, so I just thought you should see that because he looks incredible. Uh, so I was, he told me to wear jeans today, and no joke, I bought this pair of jeans on sale. They're skinny jeans. I didn't know they were so skinny. And I went to put them on today, and I was like, oh, no, we're not doing that. So uh, it's all good. I, I do just want to brag on your pastoral staff for a moment. Um, <clears throat> Pastor Joey, uh, Joe, Garrett, Andy, uh, Luke, you guys have an incredible, incredible pastoral staff. Uh, They are 
outstanding. And your volunteers are incredible. You stole one of our, our uh, favorites, Tristan Brink up there, who does all these things. But we uh, got Brian, uh, who does an incredible job uh, leading worship. Uh, and so, uh, and our brothers over here uh, brought it this morning. And so, man, you, you are a blessed, blessed church. Um, so just know that. I, I also just want to say, you have a pastor who loves Jesus with everything he is uh, and who loves you. Uh, I mean, every time we're together, uh, it's so evident by, uh, of how much Pastor Joey loves you. And, and I think if you've had any time with him, you know he's just one of those guys who walks with Jesus. Like, it's just hard. Like, you hear stories and, and you're talking with him and, you know, this man walks with the Lord. So... Uh, It's an honor to share the pulpit with men like these, to share the stage with men um, like Pastor Joey and, again, Brian and Joe, Luke, Garrett, all all of these guys. So thank you for letting me be here today. I've had the privilege, the opportunity to serve uh, with your students this weekend. Um, I I was the reason you were late this morning coming in, and I will be the reason you're late getting to go and crowd before... Uh, the Methodist Church down the road, and these students know, they're like, this guy talks way too long, uh, but I've had such a, a joy uh, getting to know some of them. Um, I've been uh, verbally abused all weekend. Somebody, somebody said I look like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, uh, which is probably true. Uh, actually, it is true. I can own that. Um, and then uh, last night, I went to one of the homes, and uh, we were hanging out with some of the boys, and one of the guys, like, they didn't realize I wrote the small group questions, and so they're, like, reading through the questions, and they're like, who wrote these? Like, that's the same question over and over, and then I, like, heard them whispering over in the corner, like, why is he here? He's, like, the substitute for Luke, and so I'm like, all right, I'm the Luke South Hall substitute. They love you, man. They love you, uh, so, uh, no, it's been, it's been super fun. Let me just recap what we've been talking about uh, to catch you up. Uh, and just for our own sakes. Um, on day one, we talked about how important it is that we are called to a person before we are ever called to a task. Before Jesus ever says, I want you to do something for me, he calls us into relationship with himself. And when we are called in relationship uh, with Jesus, when he calls us, we are called to respond. And that response, we can reject Jesus or we can surrender to the lordship of Jesus. And when we respond to the lordship of Jesus in surrender and in faith, that leads us to a life of worship. Because we realize Jesus is better than anything else that life has to offer. And when we worship Jesus, what we want to do is make much of Jesus and magnify his name to others. We want others to know the life and the hope that we have in Jesus. And so that was day one. Before we ever are called to do something, we are called to someone. And then when we realize that we are called to Jesus... Uh, then comes the realization that Jesus sends us as his people in the power of the Holy Spirit to represent him wherever we are and wherever we go. So that's been our weekend, and we're going to continue discussing this idea today. If there's one thing I want you to walk away with, it is that as the church, we are, call, we are the called out people of God, sent on mission to declare the excellencies of Christ 
in the everyday moments of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, would you open our eyes to this incredible, glorious truth that we are your people. And would you light a fire within our hearts to magnify the greatness of Jesus wherever we are in our ordinary days, in our ordinary moments, so that the name of Jesus might be known. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and hands that are willing to apply and obey. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as the church, we are the called out people of God, sent on mission to declare the excellencies of Christ in the everyday moments of our lives. You don't have to answer this. This is rhetorical. Uh, Or actually, it's not rhetorical. I just want you to think about it. So when you hear the word church, what comes to mind? So so what what are you thinking of? Again, you don't have to answer me. When you hear the word church, what comes to mind? And a lot of us have grown up in church environments. And while I think this is important today, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, we had a saying, right, on Sunday mornings, hey, kids, we are going to church. Except, unintentionally, that's bad theology, right? Because church is not a place you go. What's that nursery, uh, like, thing you do with your hands? Like, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up, and look, here's all the people, Uh, But that's not right. It's like, this is not the church. This is the church. It's the people. We are the people. Like, we are the church. The people are the church. And so open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9, and we'll read verse 9 and 10. I I want you to see this, that we're the called out people of God. And so the first thing I want you to see is that as the church, we are the called out people of God. This is what... Peter says, again, 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Did I say 2 Peter? I meant 1 Peter, I'm sorry. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. I'll give you a second to get there. So 1 Peter 2, 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As the church We are the called out people of God. We are called out to be called in. And if you look right above this text, what Peter does is he contrasts these believers with unbelievers, with unbelief. And so he's saying you are called out of the world to be called into relationship with the Almighty God. Salvation is not just you are saved from something. You're saved from hell and it's awful, awful, horrendous. You're You're not just saved from hell You are saved to something. You are saved to be in the family of God, to know Jesus. And so we're called out of our rebellion and our sin, and we are called into the people of God. 
And so Peter is going to explain this to us. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So what Peter is doing here is he's expressing the church's identity. And he's using two Old Testament passages relating to the nation of Israel in order to do that. And, and both of these passages relate to the nation or the people who descended from who? Abraham. Uh, we call them Israel. So in verse 9, he says, you are a chosen race. That word is genos, and it refers to a people who have a common lineage. And, and he, he's really quoting from Isaiah 43, verses 20 to 21. So if you'll read with me, I think it should be on the screen. This is from Isaiah says, the wild beasts will honor, honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So in, in Isaiah, these people who have a common lineage are the people of Abraham. And Isaiah tells them why God had, cho- had chosen them, like why God called them out, and that is that they might declare God's praises. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But what Peter's doing here is he's making the stunning claim, listen, that anyone who trusts in Jesus, whether you are Greek or Roman or Jew, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter what your race, anyone who trusts in Jesus is now born into a new race, born into a living hope through Jesus Christ. Christians are the new people of God. What unites us is not our ethnicity, is not our common interests, is not your music style, is not your worship preferences. What unites us is the fact that we all worship Jesus and that we've all been called out of darkness into light, out of death into life. And he goes on to describe the church, drawing from another Old Testament reference, this time from the book of Exodus. And this is what he says. He says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. That's directly from Exodus 19, 5 and 6. And this is what it says. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And so the Exodus Exodus reference and this Isaiah reference have two things in common. Both of them are dealing with God's mighty act of calling people out of slavery or out of exile into relationship with himself. And they both deal with God's deliverance. And so what Peter sees is that the exodus from Egypt and the return from exile when the people came out of Babylon, out of exile, uh, is, is a type of what Christ has done for us. So even as God rescued Israel from slavery, rescued them from exile, so too he has now brought his people, rescued his people, the church, out of rebellion and sin, and he's brought us by the blood of his son into right relationship with, his, with himself, and he's made us into his people. That is stunning, church. You are not just saved from something, you are saved to someone. Israel was a nation, they were a people, they had a national identity. And out of all the people of the earth, God chose this people to be his possession. They were 
called out to be called in. They were set apart to walk in obedience and relationship. And in the same way, church, God has called followers of Jesus and set them apart by the new covenant in Jesus' blood to be his people and to walk in obedience to him. We are set apart from all the people in the world so that we can walk with and worship and submit to the king of the universe. You and I, if we are in Christ, are now the true people of God. We belong to Jesus and we belong to one another. We are chosen, royal, holy people who had once not received mercy but now have received mercy. Now this is so important because if we aren't careful, we can miss the significance of what it means to be the people of God, of of what it means to be the church. And so let me just tell you what Peter is not saying about the church here. This is not what Peter wrote. But you are a chosen pew-sitter, a royal committee member, a holy band member, a, a money counter for his own possession, that you may hear the senior pastor proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of bed and into church this morning. Once you did not go to church, but now you go to church. That is not what Peter is saying. Church is not a place. It is a people. And it is a people that God himself has chosen and set apart for his purposes. We are a people who worship Jesus. I drive my students nuts all the time by asking them, hey, what's the church? What's the church? And they know the answer is it is God's people saved by God's power for God's purposes. And the reason I ask them that and the reason I'm constantly driving this in is because I don't want our students to think you go to a building and you pretend like you're holy and you don't cuss, but then when you leave, it's all good, right? No, the church is not just this like building that has some kind of like, you just gotta be super holy in it. We are the church. And so every day, if you are following Jesus, you are called to walk in obedience to Jesus. And to be sanctified by Jesus. And to obey Jesus. Can I just share my heart for a moment? Sometimes I just wonder. If we've made all of the buildings. All of the productions. The sermon series. The programs. So central to our lives that we've forgotten that the church is a people who live everyday lives in submission to Jesus. Like, I just wonder if we've traded genuine life-on-life, everyday relationships for programs and productions. Like, if you look in the Scriptures... over and over and over, you see the church as a family, the family of God. You see life-on-life relationships. Some of you have attended this church for years while never having experienced the joy, the difficult and painful joy of being in close relationship with someone and being known by someone. That's what Jesus calls us to. That's where the gospel begins to bleed deep into those dark areas of our hearts when people see our mess and when they can speak the life of Jesus to our mess. One of the greatest tragedies 
of the modern church moment, of our modern church moment, is the reality that you can be in a room full of people who know Jesus and love Jesus and yet be totally isolated and totally unknown. You can hop from church to church to church and never be known. You can stay at the same church, sit in the, sit in the pew, sit in the crowd, escape afterwards and never be known. Folks, church is not a building that we go to once a week. It's not an event. It is a people. And it is a people called out and gathered together as the sons and the daughters of our king. You, Mount Pleasant, are more than a building. Students, you are more than the events that you attend. You are more than these fancy speakers and these awesome windows and this stage. And I just want to say, this gathering is not unimportant. I don't want you to think that I don't love the church, that I don't love the church gathering. It's so necessary for us to gather together as the church so that we can submit ourselves to the word, just to sit under the word and to let Jesus convict us and change us. And so don't stop gathering together. But never mistake this, uh, this building, these things For the church, it's not a building. I'm looking at the church right now. You are not called to be in isolation. You are called into a body and a people and a family. I don't know any mature believers who are deeply rooted in their faith who do so isolated from the family of God. Uh, the, the greatest growth I've had in the gospel, and I, I just want to share it with all of you, like the, the greatest growth I've had is being known. Uh, those of you who are married, you know your wife sees your junk. Like she sees your mess all the time, and she'll call you out on it. And I'm so thankful for a wife who loves Jesus and says, uh, you need to believe the gospel here. Uh, this is sin. And so, but at the same time, and when we're in community and when we're, we're involved in one another's lives, they can speak, others can speak the truth to us and we grow in maturity. And so I just want to encourage you, the church is not a building. The second thing I want you to see is that as God's restored and redeemed people, we are sent to declare the excellencies of Jesus Christ in the everyday moments of our lives. So Peter in this text is going to tell them who they are, And then he's going to tell them why they've been called out, why they've been chosen, why they've received mercy. And so 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so he says that God has made believers his own possession, so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness, out of death, into life. Again, Peter is drawing from the incredibly rich story of Israel. This goes all the way back thousands of years to Abraham. In Genesis 22, God promised Abraham that his family would become a great nation and that through his family, all the families of the earth were going to be blessed. God took this one man and his family and he set them apart from all the other pagan worshiping families of the earth. And then he took Abraham's family, Israel, and he set them apart from all the other idol worshiping nations around them. Why? For what purpose? 
This is what Kelly Capick says. He says, the goal of election is inclusion rather than hard-hearted exclusion. God chose Abraham and his offspring to serve as his representatives in the world. In this way, they function like a city on a hill where others would be drawn to the light of the Creator Lord. God's people are never to forget that they are blessed in order to be a blessing. And so now, as the people of God, our worship of Jesus is to draw people in, except that we haven't been given a national identity like Israel, right? And we don't have a central location like Jerusalem. And so God now sends his people out to draw people into himself. I love that, that we are sent out so that God may call people in. Do not miss this. God promised Abraham thousands of years ago that through his family, all of the nations of the world were going to be blessed. And do you know how God filled, fulfilled his promise? God sent his own son to be that blessing. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the one who calls us out, sets us apart, and now we can declare and demonstrate this blessing to all people. And so the reason for our being called out and called in is that we might declare and be brought to worship. And I think you all know the overwhelming witness of the New Testament is not that uh, we expect people to come here, right? But that Jesus sends us out. That, that is what the theme is. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Mark 16.15, go into all the world. Matthew 28.18-20, go make disciples of all nations. So what Peter has in mind here in this text, is the worship of Jesus. He's talking about the expansion of the worship of Jesus. And so our calling, our primary calling as the church is to be worshipers. We live all of our lives in response to the revelation and the mercy and the goodness of God. Worship is not what happens right here for a couple of minutes on a Sunday. Worship is the response to the revelation of God's character, his nature. And let me just tell you this. You cannot divorce the worship of Jesus from obedience to Jesus. Like you can't separate the two. Worship and disciple making, therefore, are, are inseparably tied. And so our, is our calling as a church to worship Jesus or to make disciples of Jesus, to, to share the good news? What, what's the answer? Yes. Somebody said yes. That's exactly my answer. Like, what's our calling? Is it worship? Is it disciple? Yes. Absolutely. Because when you worship Jesus and surrender to Jesus, what happens? You absolutely want to invite people into that. You can't help but overflow in that. And then to worship Jesus is to obey Jesus. And so when we obey Jesus' command to make disciples, we want to invite people into a relationship with him. So worship fuels disciple-making, and disciple-making creates more worship, right? We want to see Jesus worshiped all over the world. What do we do? We make disciples. Yeah. Uh, I shared a story earlier. I ran into Pastor Joey and uh, Pastor Andy one time in Publix, and I just had to tell them about Stonyfield 
double cream organic yogurt with strawberries on the bottom. Because Andy said he liked ice cream. I was like, brother, you have to try. And so I'm just going to commend this to you. Best yogurt in the entirety of the universe. Stony Field, double cream organic with strawberries on the bottom. It is incredible. I'm serious. It's like $1.50 for a little cup. But it's awesome. And so uh, when, when you love something, when something is so delightful to you, what happens? I've got to tell somebody about this. And so worship is the fuel of our disciple-making. We want more people to know Jesus, to know how good he is. And we obey Jesus' command to make disciples. Church, you have been blessed beyond imagination. Do we know what we have in Jesus? And when's the last time we were just overwhelmed with the person and the work of Jesus Christ? And that's what Peter is saying. We are unimaginably blessed. And we are blessed so that we can be a blessing. We are sent to embody this blessing in the way that we live our lives and in the way that we declare this blessing as we declare the glory of Jesus Christ. You guys know what happens when this reality sinks deep into our hearts? Now this affects your life. How many of you know Nell Curley? Oh, nobody. That's right. I didn't expect you would. Nell Curley is an ordinary lady like you and like me. I'm not an ordinary lady, but I'm ordinary. Um, Nell Curley is incredibly, incredibly ordinary. She has not been on a stage. She has not been to conferences. Uh, She doesn't teach Bible curriculum. But Nell Curley, one day, God set a fire in this lady's heart. And she realized, Jesus calls me to make disciples, not just my pastor, not just my youth pastor. I am called to make disciples. I'm called to proclaim and declare the excellencies of Jesus. And so she started doing that daily. Everywhere she went, she was a really sickly lady. And so she was in and out of hospitals, in and out of like assisted nursing home type scenarios. And so she's always sharing rooms with people, has nurses, has a captive audience. And so she just starts sharing the gospel with anybody and everybody, everywhere she goes, telling them how good Jesus is, telling how Jesus has changed her life. When a lady's so sick and frail as she is, but has the joy and hope that she has, that's compelling. And uh, she has a book of people she has led to Jesus. You want to know how many names are in that book? 3,500. 3,500 names, over 3,500. And she can read the names off. As a matter of fact, my evangelism professor called her on the phone for our class because like, you're like, you just don't believe this stuff. And she's reading off names. Boom, 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 boom. And then she prays for them all the time. And she has another list of people that she's praying for that they'll, that they'll receive. 3,500. That's more than probably half the combined churches in Colonial Heights in their entire existence have seen come forward and give their lives to Jesus. One person, one lady. And I haven't even told you the best part of Nell Curley. Nell Curley started when she was 66 years old. She had not shared the gospel 
with somebody until she was 66 years old. And I don't know if she's living today, uh, but if she is, she's in her 90s now. Uh, And so this sweet, ordinary lady filled with the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit was moved and realized, like, this is true. Like, I am a part of God's people sent to declare the glory of Jesus Christ. And so let me just apply this for us. What does this look like for us? First, I want you to see that mission is every day. It's not a program or it's not a trip. We do go on mission trips, right? And I want to commend to you, go on a short-term international or local mission trip. There's such good experiences for our hearts to see what Jesus is doing all over the world. But mission is not simply a trip. It is every day for us. Why? Because we are the sent people of Jesus. You've been called out and set apart to declare the praise of Jesus wherever you go and whatever you do. I've heard it said that evangelism is ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. I love that uh, definition of evangelism. Ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. So what do you already do? What do you love to do? Do you love to fish? Do you love to uh, drink coffee at Starbucks? Uh, do, that's what I like to do. Um, what is it you like to do? Do those things. Be who you are. But do them with gospel intentionality. And so a group of us from our church, uh, some of our our young adults had decided one day, when we go to Starbucks, we're going to see that as our mission field. And so that's what we did. We were like, we're going to get to know the workers. We're going to love on the workers. Uh, Occasionally, we would buy like gift cards for the workers, just say, hey, we're we're super thankful for you. Out of that, we met, I wish you could meet Jeff. Uh, We just recently baptized this young man named Jeff. And uh, Jeff was a barista at Starbucks. Uh, started to get to know him, some of us, and then we started to invite him to play ultimate frisbee with us right across the street at the soccer fields on Sunday afternoons. And Jeff like was stunned. He was like, "Why do these people love each other like so much? And why do they care about me so much?" And that opened a door to share the gospel. Jeff surrendered to Jesus and just recently got baptized. Ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. And I think the way your church says it is meeting people where they are, and Pointing them to Jesus. Let me just clarify, though. That's not meeting people where they are as long as they come here and pointing them to Jesus. That's meeting people where they are and pointing them to Jesus. The more we progress in Western culture, the more people don't care to show up to our buildings, our programs, and our events. And I'll just tell you, when the gospel moves, the the most effective gospel movements always happen when the people of God weave the good news of Jesus into their everyday moments. You want to know how the church in China blew up, exploded in growth? It happened when the communists uh, essentially eliminated all organized religion, all symbols of religion. And so what happened is the Chinese believers started going where they were so they would go to their factory. They talk about how much Jesus has changed them. All their friends at the factory are like, wow, this Jesus guy sounds incredible. And then they're sharing with their friends at different factories. And then all of a sudden the gospel is moving across the country of China. 
The gospel always moves, moves most effectively when, as believers, we weave the good news into our everyday lives with our words, looking for opportunities, and in the way that we love people. So how can you meet people where they are and point people to Jesus in Colonial Heights or Chester or wherever you live? How many of you have to eat in order to live? Everybody. Yeah. Uh, Every single one of us has to eat. How many of you love to eat? You're like a foodie. You know, some of you people in Colonial Heights are weird, man. Like, you, you eat at, like, uh, Outback Steakhouse and Applebee's, and that's like it. I'm like, what in the world, man? There's so many good restaurants in the Richmond area. And then all of you Colonial Heights folks vacation in Outer Banks. I think it's really bizarre. But anyway, that's a side note. Uh, but every single one of us, we have to eat meals. And so when was the last time you just shared a meal with other believers? When's the last time you invited another believer, another brother, a sister, or a family and said, hey, I just want to get to know you a little more. I just want to hear your story. How, how did you come to meet Jesus? You began to pursue a relationship with him. When's the last time that happened? Maybe a new set of believers, not your you know, couple of friends that you have that you occasionally, but like, when's the last time you pursued someone new? When's the last time you thought of inviting a not yet believer to share a meal with you and your family. I mean, that's one of the most effective ways to get to know people, to hear their stories, and to know this is what good news sounds like to them. And these people are struggling here. And so here's how I can share the gospel with them. And when's the last time you shared a meal with a, with a not yet believer? You know what Jesus' mission strategy was? I love it. There are three statements Jesus says about himself. The Son of Man came in the Gospels. One is the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The next one is the Son of Man came not to, to serve, or not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, life as a ransom for many. How did Jesus come, though? What was his strategy? You know what Jesus says? The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Jesus loved to share meals with people. It's like everywhere you go, like if you look, if you just think about the Gospels, Jesus is always eating. He's like at a meal, going to a meal, or leaving a meal or a party, like a wedding party. Like that's just what Jesus does. Why? Yeah, you have tons of people there. You get to know people there. Uh, you have a captive audience at times. And so Jesus was constantly sharing meals, but a meal also levels socioeconomic and different kind of boundaries in our lives. It's like we're all sitting together. We all need this food to live, and God has provided this food for us. And so we're at the table together. And what, what, what better way to demonstrate what the Father has done for us? Jesus, by his own life and blood, invites us to the Father's table to belong, to have identity, to know, to be loved. So share a meal with somebody. That's my encouragement to you. Acts of service and love also help us point others to Jesus. What did you guys do this weekend? I'll tell you. I'll tell you what you did. You went, you went down the street and you painted and you raked and you served. Why? Was it empty? Was it meaningless? No. 
Because when the kingdom broke into our hearts, when Jesus entered into our hearts, he began to clean the mess. And so when we clean an outside mess, it is, it is a picture, a metaphor for what Jesus has done for us. And so we serve others. We love others. We find opportunities. Maybe your son or daughter is on uh, an athletic team in one of the schools. What if you got with your small group here at Mount Pleasant and said, hey, what if we started making cookies or snacks before every game or after every game? You don't want them to throw up while they're in the middle of a game. But maybe after every game, uh, we're just going to love on these kids and we're going to pray for them and we're going to get to know them. Like, What are some ways that you, as the body together, can serve. Maybe there's an individual in your neighborhood that needs house repairs. And you know there's a bunch of dudes who might be retired, which is even better, in this church congregation that would love to help you fix your neighbor's house so that it would give you an opportunity to make much of Jesus and to declare the gospel to them. There's so, thousands and thousands of opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. We our church has been given an opportunity at Ettrick Elementary School in Petersburg. Uh, like wide open door. Like they let us come in at Christmas, give them gifts, and then tell them about Jesus. It's awesome. And so there's so many ways you as a church, individuals, small groups can serve. And then I just want to say this. Build margin into your life. Build margin. One of the things my wife and I have done, um, we kind of have just written out a vision statement, a mission statement for our family. Um, and this is not this is not to brag. Um, we just realized we needed to be intentional, and if we weren't, we wouldn't do anything. And so we wrote down, "Here's what we're going to be about." And then we wrote down, "Every month we're going to try and invite one not yet believing family to our house or go out to eat with them, so that we can just share a meal, hear their stories, and share the gospel with them." So once a month, that's our goal. Um, and then beyond that, what we've done is we've budgeted some funds in order to do that. So we have some fun set aside every month. Uh, we're not like squeaking right up to the edge and be like, can we feed somebody this month? Um, we, we budget that margin. In the Old Testament, God tells his people, when you harvest the fields, don't harvest all the way to the edge. Why? Leave some for the poor so that they can glean. Leave financial margin in your life so that you can be a blessing to those who are poor, who are hurting. A friend has an electric bill that needs to be paid. You can just pay it. Build, build margin into your life. Plan for this because you know what? Mission is messy and it's hard and it costs money and it costs time and it costs energy and it costs effort. Any of you who have tried to represent Jesus in a serious way, you know this, right? Uh, I went over to the Smith's house uh, this weekend. Where are you guys, Smith's? There you, there you guys are. Uh, their house was messy, man. They had a bunch of dudes in there. Uh, and you know it smelled bad too, right? Uh, so when you seek to love people and open your home to people, it's going to get messy. When you seek to show hospitality the way that Jesus showed hospitality. One of my favorite uh, verses in the scripture is where uh, Jesus is in a house and these guys are trying to get this paralyzed man to Jesus. Because they know if they can get him to Jesus, he, Jesus will heal them. Je Jesus will make everything right. And so they, they break open this roof. And so my question is, are we willing to have our houses and our cars and our time kind of ruined in a mess so that people can meet Jesus? Like, are we willing to give up some of our own comfort and personal space to make room 
so that people can encounter the living king of the universe. And so, mission's messy, it's hard. Final story, and I promise I'm done. You know what it means when a Baptist minister says in in conclusion? Absolutely nothing. Uh, There's a sweet, sweet lady in our church who just recently, her grandsons came from an atrocious situation, a terrible situation. Her oldest grandson was on drugs. His life was a mess, like a profound mess. Um, She took them in to her own house at great cost to herself. She's living on a fixed, limited income. But this lady said, I'm going to bring my grandsons in because they don't really have anywhere to go. I'm going to love on them. I'm going to care for them. The eldest grandson would vape and smoke all in her house and like just a mess. And she would have to correct him gently, lovingly, but, but correcting him, still loving him. Uh, he, he, in and out of jobs, uh, wrecked a car. And so it's just like this lady gave her life to her grandson, and just the craziest thing. In the last month, Sean is his name, has like come to life in Jesus. Like it's a conversion if I've ever seen one. Um, like he has this hunger for the word. He got in an argument with his brother the other day. It was like his brother was talking back to his grandma and his grandma was blown away. She was like, Sean defended me. He said, hey, we're in her house. We need to respect her. It was just, so this guy, because of his, grand, like the, the reason Sean, I would say, is following Jesus is because, is because his grandmother was willing to get messy, get her hands dirty so that she could point her grandson to Jesus. Church, Jesus is so worth it. This is not Mount Pleasant. This is. And you are sent into your everyday moments of life to weave the gospel, pointing people to Jesus, declaring his excellencies. And then Jesus will draw them to himself. Let's pray. Father, would you... Remind us of the glory of your grace. Transform us today by your word. Would you empower this church to be who you call them to be, these students to be who you call them to be. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I told the students last week, maybe you haven't experienced the power of the Holy Spirit Maybe you're struggling with being sent by Jesus because you've never encountered Jesus in a real relationship. And so if that's you today, I want to invite you, Pastor Joe and Pastor Joey are here. Um, Feel free to come. But for the rest of us, I want our response to be, think of some names. Who is it that Jesus is sending me to? Where is it that Jesus is sending me to? begin to pray that Jesus will give you the boldness and the courage to follow through with that.